The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ready to take your Bibles tonight. Thank you, Brother Chris, for that rousing rendition of God Loves Me. As I was his only child. And uh, Luke chapter 16 tonight, Luke 16, and we're going to pick up in verse number 13. And for those who might be concerned, I just checked, and it's halftime. And uh, so, uh, the, uh, and those who, were, who skipped church tonight and just have turned over to our services because it is halftime, thanks for joining us tonight as well. I do hope that uh, we'll be able to finish the message before the next uh, half begins as well. Of course, I'm just teasing. If they skipped it, they're not watching right now, so that's okay. But we're glad you're here and excited about uh, the rest of this evening. Luke chapter 16, verse number 13. Of course, we've been studying in these last couple of chapters, Jesus, his interactions with his disciples and a group of Pharisees, of course, just mere days or weeks before his crucifixion. And uh, as Jesus had used parables to, to bring lessons to the Pharisees, he's recently in our studies moved his attention from the Pharisees to that of the disciples. And uh, if you remember our studies a couple of weeks ago uh, through this uh, beginning of this chapter, uh, he, he spoke about the, uh, the steward uh, the, and how the master was going to relieve him of his duty. Duties and uh, just and we discussed how the Lord was was trying to encourage the disciples to keep their focus uh, where they ought to be and understand uh, that they are simply managers or stewards of uh, the uh, the gifts and the the possessions that the Lord has allowed them to have. And here in tonight, in uh, verse number thirteen of Luke chapter sixteen, um, uh, I'm in, in John. I'm like that is not right. So <laughs> I was about to read. And I was like that's not where we're supposed to be. Luke chapter 16 and verse number uh, 13, uh, the scripture says this, it says, no servant can serve two masters for either he will take the, I'm sorry, hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him. And he said unto them, ye are they which justify yourselves before men but God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is, a, is abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. Whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. Our Father, we thank you for this evening. And uh, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your, your house again tonight. I would ask that you just bless our time together in your, in your word. Uh, Lord, help us to uh, be in tune with your spirit, that he'd guide us to all truth, that it draws us close to you tonight. And it would just be an encouragement to us to, uh, to submit ourselves to you and allow your spirit to guide us. Lord, I ask now that you be honored and glorified through our, our time in your word tonight, that your will might be accomplished. We thank you for those who are down uh, the other side of the building as the Discipled Veterans Meeting is taking place. Would you just help it to be an encouragement to those that are uh, participating there? Help it to be an instrument in which that we might be able to, to be an encouragement to our, our community, military community particularly. And uh, Lord, we just want to praise you and thank you for your goodness. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, as we've read these verses here, beginning verse number 13 all the way down to verse number 18, there's a few things that I want you to note as we begin into the message. One found in verse number 14. It says, and the Pharisees also who were covetous, all right? Don't, don't miss that word right there. That's an important aspect to the, uh, to the portion of Scripture here with us tonight as well. And then uh, notice in verse number 15, it says at the beginning, and he said unto them, ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. So God knows their hearts, and he knows that their hearts are covetous, and uh, this is the thrust, and this is the reasoning behind the Lord's words to the Pharisees this night, or this day, when he began these, uh, this, this portion here with the words of, no servant can serve two masters. No servant can. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought like I've thought, but maybe you've wondered, how in the world can anyone reject Christ, right? Like, how is it that one could just outright say that uh, he's not real. Um, I, I guess that might not be the right way to put it. Almost no one in the world would, today would argue that Jesus wasn't a real person, all right? Uh, even those that wouldn't ascribe deity to him would say, of course, yes, he was a real person that lived there uh, in uh, the Middle East region in, uh, in that time frame. But I, I do wonder, how can one just deny Christ as Savior? Christ as the Messiah. Uh, and, uh, and particularly, why would the Pharisees of Jesus' day reject Him as Christ? These were individuals who knew the Old Testament Scriptures. These were those who devoted their life to studying it, like the scribes as well. And, and uh, they knew what the Old Testament taught. They knew that a Messiah was coming. They knew prophecies that would be fulfilled by the Messiah. And as we look back over Scripture and see the reality of what Christ did and how He fulfilled all of these prophecies, how could one reject Him as such? But in the midst of the conflict that had been taking place between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees, He's now teaching his disciples uh, that why the Pharisees had been in such opposition to him and his ministry and his claims to be in the Messiah. In fact, according to Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verses 1 through 14, God would promise a blessing to Israel if they would just obey him in accordance to the law of Moses. And, uh, and, and as the people of God and Moses, uh, they, they, they uh, made this commitment to trusting and saying we would follow him. The, uh, the, the Bible says that G the Lord said, if you obey, you'll be blessed. But the Pharisees had perverted the scriptures to the point of teaching that they were more spiritual because of their material wealth. And they devoted their life to try to prove that they had been blessed more than others by flaunting the material wealth as well. In fact, Pentecost wrote it this way, the Pharisees, uh, through a perversion of the principle, taught that material possessions were a sure sign of God's favor. They taught whom the Lord loves, he makes rich. That's, that was their, their, uh, their, their, their thrust or their mindset. Now, my friends, that type of mindset still permeates our Christian world today with the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that is unfortunately preached in many places. But the reason for the opposition from the religious leaders of that day was simply this. They loved themselves, 
They love money and possessions. They love their status more than they love God. And as we consider Jesus' words here, again reminding his disciples and helping point out some, uh, some major uh, flaws within the Pharisees' belief systems, I want us to consider this fact of that no servant can serve two masters. And number one tonight, I want us to notice, as I pointed out, verse number 15, God knoweth your hearts. He, knows, he knew the disciples' hearts, He knew the Pharisees' hearts, and He knows yours and my heart tonight as well. And notice tonight, number one with me, the heart revealed here in verses 13 and 14. As Jesus said, no servant can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, there's their heart revealed there, heard all these things, and they derided him. See, Jesus is teaching his disciples, and as he's doing so, the Pharisees have been listening in, and he'd already, just, just prior to this, used the parable of the unjust steward, as we mentioned in a study two weeks ago, and uh, he's just finished giving the instructions to uh, the, his disciples about the priority of using riches for things eternally rather than things that are temporal and rather than things that would just benefit here and now. And uh, the Pharisees are obviously revealed, Jesus' own words pointed out, that they had that opposite mindset. Jesus said with this, the parable that we are to make sure that our focus is on eternity. Uh, but here the Pharisees are covetous, and so their heart is just simply on what they can get here and now. And notice as their heart is revealed, it's revealed as a divided heart. Because verse number 13, he, he clearly states this, that no servant can serve two masters. Worse, all a servant to something, my friends, or someone. And we can either, we can either give our heart and our life and our, 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 our own will over to our master, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, or we can have our own will. And we can have our own desires, and we can do our own thing, and ultimately have made ourselves master of our life. But we can't serve both. We can't do my way and Jesus' way. It's either His way or the highway, right? I guess you could say. And we have to realize that there's no straddling the fence. If you've ever hopped the fence and straddled it, maybe by accident, you know it's not very comfortable either. So why do we try to do such a thing? I remember, I'll, I'll, I'll share this, and I've, I told you I was going to be quick so we could get done before the second half, right? But uh, that's out the window already. Uh, but uh, here's, I, I, was, I was, I don't know, 11, 12, 13 years old, and uh, we had some uh, neighborhood friends that lived the street behind, and instead of walking down to the end of the block, around to the other, side, other street, and down to their house... Uh, we had a pretty good relationship with all of our neighbors, and so we would just cut through their yards and hop their back fence. And I remember uh, one afternoon, I was heading over to their house to see if they were home and available. See, in my day growing up, we didn't have cell phones to text each other and say, hey, are you ready? You know, like we had to go uh, actually go to their house and see them face to face. There was no, oh, I'm just going to, well, I'm hanging out with my friends virtually. That wasn't the thing in my day, of course. But I was walking over there, and the neighbor's dog got loose. 
and it come barreling down towards me. And so with all my might, I ran as fast as I could. Unfortunately, Liam wasn't there to outrun, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. And so I had to actually outrun this dog. And uh, so I went to go hop the fence. And as I did, my belt loop got caught on the fence uh, there at the top. And I kind of straddled over it. I'll tell you, it was not a pleasant experience when that happened. But why do we live our lives in such a way where we try to straddle the fence, so, so to say? We try to do our own thing and also try to please the master, our savior. And, and we find here the statement that Jesus makes concerning the Pharisees particularly, uh, and, well, anyone particularly, I should say rather, is that no servant can serve two masters. It can't happen. It's impossible. We try to, we try to say, well, I'll be the exception to the rule, I'll be different, and it will work out for me. It's just simply the case, it can't happen. You say, well, yeah, I understand it can't happen. I mean, that's, the, that's just how life goes. It's how life goes because God said so, my friends, also. And so we have to understand this is a statement, this is a truth that has been Put out, and this is how the Lord created it. We can't get around it. No servant can serve two masters. So that brings the dilemma then. We find that the duplicitous servant's interests cannot be sustained for both masters. We can't have the best interests for one and the other in mind. One is going to win out. One will either remain loyal to the one and despise the other or vice versa, but there's no two ways about it. Now, the scripture says here in verse number 13, no man can serve the two masters, or either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one, and the word he uses there is despise the other. The word despise means to have contempt, uh, to think little or nothing of. Then he says in verse number, five, uh, number 13, he'll despise the other, you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, that word mammon, it just simply means treasure or riches. That is where it is personified or opposed to God. So one will either serve earthly means and riches or they will serve God. We can't give our heart and life to both. That is not to say that riches or treasures can't be obtained within this life in serving God. But we can't serve both. We can't dedicate our life to both. If we dedicate our life to God's service and He chooses to bless us with material wealth in any way, then that's God's choice and that's a blessing, no doubt. And He's probably done so, so that we can use it to, to bring honor and glory to Him. And let's just be honest. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago as well in talking about the just steward. The unjust steward. We as Americans... Regardless of what you made this past year and what you're filing your taxes as, are more wealthy than the rest of this world. You're within the 2% of the top richest individuals. Even in poverty in America, you're still within the top 2%. And so the Lord, if He's blessed us in that way, He no doubt expects us to use it for His honor and for His glory as we discussed a couple weeks ago. But following Jesus means that we will face the decision to either yield or to deride. And we find this truth here in the Scripture, even here this evening. And it's all, it's, there's always going to be a decision we have to make towards Christ. And we see that in verse number 14. 
And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. Now, when the Pharisees realized that Christ was directing this teaching uh, uh, towards them or about them, uh, because he knew their, their divided or duplicitous heart, uh, this, the Bible says they derided him. And there was an inward rejection first in verse number 14. Notice what it says. It says they were covetous. That means they had chosen mammon or they had chosen the things of this world over Christ. That word uh, covetous, it means uh, to love money. Uh, And uh, of course, we know the scripture teaches that the love of money is the root of all evil. Many people reject God or they might even leave the fervency of faith. Because of covetousness, and the Pharisees are an example of this type of direction. The Bible says in Proverbs 10, verses 2 through 3, Treasure of the wickedness, profit, treasure, treasures of wickedness profiteth nothing, uh, but righteousness delivereth from death. The Lord will not suffer the soul of the righteous to famish, uh, but he casteth away the substance of the wicked. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, but they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into and to many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in, de, in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. And as we all have a decision to make towards Christ, we see particularly the Pharisees, first, they first had an inward rejection. But their inward rejection led to an outward response. Because look what the Bible says in verse number 14, the last part. They derided him. Now that word derided means to turn up the nose, to sneer at, to scoff at. And so they was like, Psh. they acted like a bunch of teenagers. They, they rolled their eyes at uh, what uh, Jesus had to say that day. And given the Pharisees' philosophy... They were just wanting to downplay Christ's teachings and therefore scoffed at it. See, for a long time, the Pharisees had rejected the Lord. However, given this term, this rejection might actually reflect more than just a contempt for Jesus' material values. It's probably more of a thought of they completely are, are putting him off to the side absolutely. Maybe that's why we read in Matthew 12 and verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. A good man, out of the good treasures of his heart, bringeth forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, uh, bringeth forth evil things. See, the reason why they derided him is because they'd already made up in their mind to choose someone else to be their master. They'd already made up in their heart that somebody else was more important than Jesus. Wearsby put it this way, the Pharisees were outwardly pious, but inwardly filled with covetousness, believing as they did that wealth was a sign of God's blessing. They laughed at Jesus and what he taught. They were not unlike the success preachers today who equate happiness and holiness with prosperity. They were trying to serve two masters, the Lord and their money, and this is impossible to do. That's why Luke 12 and 15 says, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So as Jesus is speaking here to his disciples, the Pharisees listening in, 
we see that he reveals the heart of the matter here. But number two tonight, notice also the heart rebuked in verses 15 through 17. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men. But God knoweth your hearts, for that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. And the, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. See, Jesus knew the Pharisees' thoughts, and therefore, because of that, he rebuked them for their decision towards him. And we see the rebuke of Jesus, particularly in verse number 15, and it begins by exposing their outward facade. They were just, they were fake. They were phony. They, they tried to point, uh, lift themselves up as someone who was righteous, but their righteousness was just simply self-righteousness. In fact, notice he said that they justify, that word justify means to show, exhibit, or uh, one to be righteous, such as he wishes himself to be considered. But the defining aspect of this justifying that the, of the Pharisees is in the phrase that follows it. Justify yourselves, not before God, not before their master. Well, actually their master was themselves, so it would be right. Justify themselves before men. The Pharisees were known for giving alms. If you understand the giving of alms, it isn't something to be done in a public spectacle, uh, but they were known for giving alms out of impure motives. The impure motive was to impress others. Look at what I'm giving. Look at what I'm sacrificing, if you may. And they were actually abomination in God's eyes because God rejects self-adoration. He rejects that type of an attitude. He uh, repudiates self-status-seeking. Uh, that word abomination literally means a foul thing, a detestable thing of idols and things pertaining to idolatry. Proverbs 16 and 5 says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. Matthew 23, 5 and 7 says, But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments and love the uppermost rooms at feast and the chief seats in the synagogues and greetings in the markets and to be called of men, rabbi, rabbi. See, they, they tried to prove how righteous or how holy or how godly they were by flaunting their material possessions. And they might have even gave to some Good and needy charitable reasons, but out of the wrong purpose, out of the wrong reasons. They wanted everyone to see how holy they were, to be able to give such great means and such. My friends, I'm here to tell you something tonight, that when we give, God looks for a loving and loyal heart, not a proud, boastful one, and neither does He look for one that is doing it begrudgingly either. Romans 12 and 8 says, or he that exhorteth. Only on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. See, my friends, if the Lord has blessed us, he doesn't want us flaunting it. He doesn't want us trying to promote it and say, well, surely the Lord's blessings is on my life because of what I've got. He just wants us to simply be a faithful steward of the things that he's given us and give according as he'd lead, 
and give according out of obedience of what he's already commanded. That's where it starts, my friends. You say, I, 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 I do. I want to have the heart of, of the Lord. I want to have the heart of Christ in managing the things he's blessed me with and giving the things that he's given me. It starts first with obedient to what he's already, being obedient to what he's already commanded. If we can't get that right, how do we expect to follow him in anything else? If, he, if we can't get what he's already plainly laid out and be obedient to that, then how do we expect to be obedient in something else that he's asking to give above and beyond that? Are you following me here tonight? But regardless of where we're at, the Lord desires for us to be obedient in those things out of a loving and loyal heart. I can, I can tell you this tonight, and, and, and I, this portion of Scripture is dealing with, and that's why we're talking about it tonight, not because you're, our, the church needs your money. I could care less, honestly, about what you do with your own finances. But as your pastor, I want you to be obedient to what the Lord has already commanded and, and how He would lead in your life as well. And as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, Jesus spoke more about money than He even did of heaven and hell in His time here on earth and in, in the treasures of this world. And therefore, it must be an important thing. Why? Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you can't give with a cheerful and a loving and a loyal heart, then you need to write your heart, not write your giving. Because your giving will follow your heart. Your giving will follow where your heart is at. That means if you're begrudgingly giving, get your heart right. If you quit giving... Get your heart right. The command is simple, and the command is there, no doubt. But we ought to obey, not because our arm is twisted, but we ought to obey because of our recognition of how and what the Lord has already done for us. Parents, do you want your children to obey just because you've said so? Or do, would you rather that they obey out of their love for you and the recognition of your rules and your instructions are for their betterment and for their good? Well, obviously, we know the answer to that. And the Lord wants the same from you and I as His children as well, my friends. So let us have the right heart in the matter. As, in fact, that's what is being mentioned here. This is what is being broadcast through this whole, whole portion of Scripture, the heart of the matter. And particularly, Jesus is rebuking the heart of these Pharisees because it's in the completely wrong place. He rebuked their heart by exposing the outward facade in their life. He rebuked their heart by revealing their inward, the inward feelings of their heart as well. Look at verse number 15. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. See, God knew, knows the heart. And self-exaltation does not please him. Jesus just told the Pharisees, had just told the Pharisees, uh, who were proud of their own religious practices, that their hearts were co contaminated with pride. That was the problem. And Matthew 23, verses 27 through 28 says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appeared be beautiful outward, I'm sorry, indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all, of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. So we see the rebuke by Jesus 
But also he uses the law to rebuke them in verse number 16. The law, he says, and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. See, Jesus next addresses their attitude, not just towards himself, but towards his laws and the things he's already laid out, towards the prophets who deliver them as well. Notice that the, the, God is telling, uh, the Lord is telling them that they ignored his prophets. The Old Testament was a witness of Christ that foreshadowed the things to come. Matthew 5 and 17 verses 18 also says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot, one tittle shall, not, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. See, John the Baptist, he was the witness of, uh, of Christ and was the, was the last, if you may, of the Old Testament prophets. His ministry was to announce that Christ, the completer of the Old Testament, had come. His message was to Israel, to, uh, 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 to Israel's, of Israel's coming king and preaching the kingdom of heaven, preaching his, his reign and rule in the lives of men. However, though, the Pharisees and the other religious leaders they never accepted his ministry. They never accepted his reign in their life. That's why Luke 7, verses 26 and 20, through 28 says, but what, went, uh, but what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and much more than a prophet, this is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. For I say unto you, among those that are born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist, but he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. See, my friends, uh, he rebukes them by the law because he says that they ignored the prophets. He does so by the fact that they had elevated their traditions over God's truths as well. He says that in verse number 15, which is highly esteemed among men is actually an abomination unto God. Verse number 16, since the time of the kingdom of God is preached, every man pre presseth into it. See, the law and the prophets are the second rebuke, condemning the Pharisees, emphasis on the traditions of the, uh, of the fathers rather than of the word of God. They had a form of worship, if you may, but they had no power of it. They, they, they had a, 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 a facade of living for God, but they had no power behind it. And Jesus implies that while the Pharisees have rejected God's word, there are others actually who are pressing into the kingdom, who are accepting it, and who are uh, receiving it with enthusiasm. In fact, John W. Shepard put it this way, the Pharisees has, had disregarded the greatest and most fundamental teaching of the law and prophets, which related to the coming of the messianic kingdom. John had ushered in the messianic kingdom. They were rejecting that kingdom while multitudes were pressing into it with a tremendous moral enthusiasm and spiritual passion. Oscar Wilde said, religion is the fashionable substitute for belief. He even goes on to condemn them and rebuke them because of the resilience of Scripture in verse number 17. It's easier for heaven and earth to pass than for one tittle of the law to fail. Now, my friends, they... These Pharisees, they did their best to pretend or make it look like they were following the law, but they did everything they could to put in loopholes. But Jesus said it's actually going to be easier for heaven itself and earth to be destroyed and pass away before his word would not be completed. So regardless of their work, 
regardless of what they tried to, to get around and tried to, to put in the loopholes and cut through the red tape, if you want to put it that way, his word was going to stand true for all of eternity. And notice here in verse number 18, as we close, the heart reminded. In verse number 18, it says, Whosoever putteth away his wife and marrieth another committeth adultery. Whosoever marrieth her that is put away from her husband committeth adultery. Have you ever read through portions of Scripture kind of like this? And you're kind of just tracking along and he's talking about the Pharisees and their hearts and he's talking about uh, giving and he's talking about covetousness and all of those things. And then out of nowhere, it seems like a totally unrelated thing is brought up. Like, where did this come from? Jesus has just said that you're not going to be able to serve two masters. He's just said that the Pharisees' hearts were covetous. He said that they try to justify themselves before men, but God knows their hearts. The laws and the prophets, they've testified of God's truth and and all of these things uh, going into that. And to do your own thing is actually an abomination in the sight of God. uh, And that it's actually easier for heaven and earth, these massive entities, to be destroyed and to fall away before God's word would ever fail. And then out of nowhere, seems like, like out of left field, he says, oh yeah, by the way, whosoever divorces his wife and, and uh, whoever takes his wife and all that, they commit adultery. Wait a minute, where, where did that come from? What is all this about? And, and some, I myself have been guilty of it, where I'm just kind of tracking along, not really putting in the effort to, to see where this would come in context. And this is why I pointed out earlier in the beginning of the message that word in verse number 14, where Jesus said that the Pharisees also were covetous. They were covetous. They did their best in verse number 15 to justify themselves and what they were doing before men. The bad thing for them about it was that God knew their hearts and why they were doing it. In the context of what is taking place, the reason why Jesus brings this up is to, again, to remind them uh, of, of his authoritative power, his authoritative teaching. And he, we find here that what Jesus is trying to get across is the attitude and the, the, uh, the failure of the Pharisees in what they had done in their lives and in their ruling over the religious crowds of that day. Unfortunately, the, the Pharisees in order to be able to increase their wealth, to be able to pad their pockets, to accomplish what they wanted to accomplish in their covetousness, they began to twist the laws of God, which, my friends, let me ask you a question. Does Scripture give biblical uh, reasons why a divorce can take place? Yes or no? Yes, he did. Yeah, it, does, it does clearly give that. Now, again, the desire of God is that a husband and wife would marry one man, one wife for one life. That's, that's the desire of God. That's the plan of God. But he did give a reason and, and lawful reasons as to why a divorce could take place. Here's the thing that was taking place. The Pharisees were twisting those laws to make it easier for divorces to take place. And they were doing that by saying, well, I'll give you a way to be able to get out of this relationship so you can live uh, promiscuously or however else you want, as long as you pay me for some money. And then they would write another 
addition or amendment to the law, if you may, or interpret it a different way. Why does he speak of this in verse number 18, where it seems like it comes out of left field? Because it's, again, revealing the covetousness of the Pharisee's heart. These people that he's saying that have put away their wife and marries another, and the one who marries the one who's been put away is one that had, had divorced outside of the confines, outside of the uh, way that the Lord had laid out the ability for it to take place. Why? Because the Pharisees were covetous, and so therefore to pad their own pockets, were working to accomplish being able to get the, the, the funds necessary to do so. And what Jesus is doing here, he's reminding the heart of two things. And we'll close with this this evening. A righteous heart will act with integrity, whereas an unrighteous heart will lead to sin. A righteous heart will strive to just follow the Lord's ways and what He's laid out, but an unrighteous one will always be bent towards sin. Again, Pentecost said covetous. covetousness may manifest itself in the desire for money or for another person's marriage partner. Christ reminded the Pharisees that a man who caters to covetousness and divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. Some of the rich religious leaders had divorced their wives in order to marry another woman who was wealthy and could bring more into their marriage financially as well in those ways. But a righteous heart will always seek to yield to the Spirit and to the Lord's Word. An unrighteous heart will lead to sin, though, and Jesus could have cited Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4, as he does in other passages. But his remarks here is strong in a culture that had a variety of views about divorce. Barnes' commentary puts it this way, Notwithstanding their great pretensions to external righteousness, the Pharisees had really departed from the law. That's the key there. That they, even though they had this outward manifestation of, yeah, I want to do exactly what the Lord would have me to do, and I'm the epitome of holiness. They had actually strayed far, far from what God's law had already commanded. And due to their covetous nature, the Pharisees accumulated great wealth through any means possible, and in doing so, they rejected the Messiah in the process. The Pharisees are an example of what it looks like to try to serve two masters, my friends. It's where we, we get this attitude of, can I just be honest tonight, all right? It's where we get this attitude that's portrayed online through social media a lot that, that uh, you know, I love Jesus, but I, uh, I cuss a little too. I love Jesus and I, you know, do this or that also. And, and my friends, we can love Jesus and those things be true about us. And we can, we can, those things can be true about us, and Jesus absolutely loves us. But are we just going to trample underfoot the grace of God to, to continue in sin? As Paul said, God forbid. And my friends, when we have an understanding of grace that just says, well, I get to live however I want with no feeling of conviction from the Holy Spirit, we've got a misunderstanding of grace. And honestly, what we're trying to do is just simply serve two masters. We want our cake and eat it too, if you may, right? We want to be able to have all of the, the looks and the manifestations and the seeming blessings of holy living while doing our own thing on the side. 
And that's exactly what the Pharisees are an example of it, what it looks like to try to serve two masters. They tried to serve their own selfish desires and the will of God at the same time. And my friends, it's an impossible task. We can't do it. So my implorement to you tonight is this. Would we all just simply say, God, take my life and use it to however you would choose. Take my life and let it be fully consecrated unto thee that you might be able to take and use me however you see fit. Now, taking our hands off the reins can be an awfully scary thing, can it not? Because then we don't know where he might take us and what he might want to do with us. But no man, no servant can serve two masters. Would you stand to your feet with me here tonight? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed. How many here would say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved. I know that heaven's my home. Could I rejoice with you? Just lift your hand up and right back down. Hands all across the auditorium. Would there be anyone here that would say, Pastor, honestly, we've been talking about two, serving two masters. Honestly, I can't. I couldn't even say that Christ would ever be my master because I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know him as my personal savior. I've never been born again. Is there anyone here who would say, Pastor, please pray for me because I don't know for sure that I'm saved and that heaven's my home. Could I just simply pray for you? Slip your hand up and write back down. If that's you here tonight, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that I'm saved. And one last question, who here would say, Pastor, as we've considered the word of God tonight, in some aspect, in some way, the Holy Spirit convicted my heart about the fact that I can't serve two masters, that I can't serve my own desires, I can't serve the things of this world and serve Christ at the same time. And who here would say, Pastor, please pray with me in whatever area the Lord's spoken to me about in my heart through the message tonight, that I would forsake those things and yield myself to the one who matters most, to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Could I just pray with you tonight as well? Slip your hand up and right back down if that's your heart's desire. Hands all across this auditorium. Now, if the Lord's spoken to your heart and you'd like to, you're welcome to come here to the front and kneel at the altar or maybe right there in your seat. You just call out to the Lord and, and uh, cry out to Him and say, Lord, uh, help me to uh, relinquish my own desires and my own wants and my own will and let me just be yielded and surrender to you. Our Father, we thank you for this evening and your goodness. Lord, be with this time of invitation that your will might be accomplished. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.